Hey guys, Dan Tom here. Just want to give you a heads up on the audio on this MMA chat that tends to skip out in the beginning like some of them may have, but smooths out within the first few minutes. So I both apologize and ask that you bear with me throughout these growing pains. Hope you all are well and on with the show. The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Live MMA chat number six. UFC look ahead. The Last Dance. Front headlocks in MMA and more. Strap in. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Hey, what's up, everybody? Dan Tom here well, from you know, MMA Junkies, where you might know me from, the analysts over there. But thank you for coming to my channel here. Going to give you guys a shout in a second as everybody starts to pile in. I'm going to do my obligatory share and talk uh, as I simultaneously run through the topics. I know I've been running a bit long on these lately. I'm still going to try to keep it for the targeted 30 to uh, 30 to 35 minutes um, as we uh, MMA course the podcast the protecting neck podcast at the pyn podcast on all social platforms i won't spam you and of course as per usual a uh kind of edited version not really too edited i just attach a beginning and end we'll go up there if you're not joining live so no worries but yeah that's where you get your questions and follow on social media so without further ado let's get this party started all righty um just ran through what we're going to be doing I tend to go along with these weekly focuses, so I'm really trying to minimize that down. Uh, but at the same time, improve it. You know, um, I'm going to work on trying to get like a little uh, box here uh, showing some clips. Hopefully, that doesn't you know get me busted or any shakes for copyright. Um, make sure to plug the right people and what and, uh, and and whatnot. And it's just it's just silly. However, just like the crap people gave Mayweather, Khabib was another undefeated fighter. Or a fighter, or although Amanda Nunes is not an undefeated fighter, she's a she's a goat, undoubtedly, right? You you stand a lot to lose, so it's like you're going to be more picky <laughs> if you're smart. You're going to be more picky uh, with who you take to fight. And don't get me wrong, like I love to be that guy on the other end of it, whether it was like Mayweather going, "Hey, you know, not hating, but like, come on, take this matchup. Oh, he took this matchup at this time," or. You know, I'm usually that guy, right? Um, you know, as far as like picking it apart. And on the other hand, I'm also that guy where I'm like, yeah, yeah, I like the guy who shows up and fights regardless of it. Go Tony Ferguson. He's the true champ for, for doing the weight cut or anything like that. Kind of like I said, last week's show it was more for a mental edge, whether or not you agree <laughs> with it is regardless. We're talking about Tony Ferguson here, people. Um, but yeah, I'm a Tony Ferguson fan, so in no way. But even me, I'm like pumping the brakes going like, okay, my, should I really be cheering this on? Like... I don't know what to cheer on and what not to vote yourself or inspire confidence. But at the same time, like it's, it's the honest truth. And I think that uh, I'm finding myself respecting more people or you're just, you know, exercising your own perspective there. Again, not trying to get too uh, political or anything. Tell people how to think. That's not my my thing here, folks. Just kind of discussing the fallout I think is correct. But honestly, I, I, I think that's going to happen a lot more, as in fighters dropping out of fights, originally scheduled fights not happening. Again, I'm not trying to bump my chest like, oh, I predicted this or predicted that. But remember, I, I, I said weeks ago, don't be surprised if you see Dominic Cruz get a title shot at this rate. What happened? Um, 
it's just kind of one of those things. So it, we really can't get hung up on old or small narratives in the grand scheme of things. It's probably going to make us go crazy. Speaking of which, hopefully you guys are all holding up well uh, in your own versions of self-quarantine. It's been Everyone's going a little stir crazy. Uh, I know I've certainly been having challenges working and, and, and getting things done. As you can see, still haven't gotten my hair cut. Still, we still got Brad Pitt and Bobby D behind me. Unfortunately, you guys got to deal with them uh, probably like another week, maybe even two longer, at least for this chat, because uh, it kept getting pushed back the backdrops. I got literally everything else minus these backdrops. I got the clamps, I got the racks, I got the program, software, camera, just need the ding. Backdrop. So apologies, folks, on the empty promises, but, you know, we're all dealing uh, and making the best we can. So thank you for sticking with me. But, yeah, uh, as we look ahead here, what is a confirmed fight, right? That was the thought I had uh, earlier. And a confirmed fight at this point for me is whatever they have lines on, betting lines, right? The degenerates out there. I know we went over the early lanes. I'm not going to rehash that, although some line movement, you know, has changed. And there's some dogs that definitely look, uh, definitely look interesting. Definitely look interesting. You know, um, I'm seeing a Kazakhstan line listed. Peter Yan minus 230, M Marlon Marais plus 190. I don't disagree with Yan being the favorite at all, but um, that fight's, you know, that fight's dangerous. Mar Marlon Marais is one of the heaviest hitters, regardless whether you're a fan, a big supporter. But um, that's a... That's, that's kind of a crazy, you know, I, I start to kind of squint at those lines. Kind of like I say, folks, they're not flyweights. But what I'll say, where flyweights and heavyweights kind of uh, cross-section, in my opinion, when it comes to the betting perspective of things, is you start seeing over two or two and a half, I should say, to one favorite. Uh, for a heavyweight fight, you kind of got to be skeptical because no matter how much the line may make sense, um, no matter how good the favorite may be, it's heavyweight and, and things can change, uh, as in power. Now, you lose that stereotype and statistic, not taking a shot at the small guys, but it's true when you drop all the way down to flyweight, or in this case, the matchup we're talking about, Jan Marais, bantamweight. Um, so in that case, yeah, uh, so, so in that case, yeah, it's not the power, right? Well, so why do you say that, Dan? Well, I say that because it's the opposite. Guys, uh, guys don't get finished as much. There's a lot of scrambles, uh, for example, at flyweight especially. So you're relying on judges who even if they come from quote-unquote boxing, as that stereotype goes, they don't necessarily know how to judge a striking match. Uh, just go look at all those fights that were recently uh, took place in Texas. Not a shot, Texas. Love you. Just saying the commission, right? Um, now we're expecting those judges or judges like that to, to judge a grappling fight. So it gets kind of crafty for that reason. But this fight, which is at Bantamweight, gets crafty for both that reason, but also, let's be honest, they almost they almost uh, you know carry heavyweight caveats with them uh, because they're some of the hardest hitters in the division. Jan is up there, but maybe not per se, whereas Marias maybe a little more up on the power scale as far as Bantamweight. A lot of hitters at Bantamweight. I mean, we're splitting hairs at this point, folks. But uh, the thing about Peter Jan is even people like myself who have been a fan and supporter of Peter Jan, he, uh, he gets hit, folks. He gets hit, you know. You don't mean every phase, so it's all good. It's all, it's all dandy, but you, uh, not everything's candy in, in MMA, and you are gonna taste those costs sometimes. It's gonna be sour, man. You're gonna get some sour ones in there, and that's gonna happen to Yon. Is it gonna happen before he gets the title or after he gets the title? If that's being, being very presumptive, because it's MMA and MMA in these times. But yeah, I mean, in other words, is uh, Peter's gonna have to pay the piper sometimes. Dan, why are you rhyming? I'm not trying to, folks. I'm just trying to get a point out here that uh, that's a that's a that's a that's a dangerous line. Uh, Jan's my early lean; he should absolutely be the favorite. But that's a that's a dog or pass as far as from a betting perspective. 
and as far as my initial lean and thoughts are. Again, reserving the right to change. Um, Dan Hooker versus Dustin Poirier, ESPN plus 33. I love that number 33. We'll get to why in a second here. Um, looks like only a bookmaker and bet online have a line on that fight for Teixeira Smith. Uh, yeah, Teixeira plus 135 or plus 154, depending on the house, where Smith 165 minus 195. Um, yeah, man, hopefully some Anthony Smith's uh, recovering okay. And, and not just him, his family. I mean, the trauma from that incident's, you know, nothing to joke about. Um, so uh, hopefully that's all good. And Glover share. I mean, he's the classiest freaking dude around, man. Uh, uh, that being said, I'm surprised the line is not a little wider, but the odds makers never really a fan of uh, Anthony Smith. So um, I'm a fan of Anthony Smith, but I'm just saying the odds makers aren't. Uh, Fan of both guys. That's kind of stuck to see either one of them lose. And then, yeah, I said Hooker Poirier. Uh, Poirier, your favorite, minus 171 or minus 210 ish range. Plus 136 to plus 160 ish range is the comeback on Dan Hooker. Yeah, it's not surprising. Uh, I want to look at Dan Hooker's stats against under um, Southpaws will be something I'll be looking at when I break down that fight. And uh, Weidman's still scheduled here, at least on the, on the books. He's an underdog to Jack Hermanson, plus 131. Jack Hermanson, minus 165. I'm surprised that line's not a little wider, but you got to imagine, like, the typical inflation that we're all expecting for betting lines, I got to imagine that that's not really down or if they're going to go down as planned, right? So, so yeah, that's pretty much as, our, as far as the futures uh, I'm going to talk about. Again, go to the last live chat or live, last episode if you listen to the Protecting Act podcast um, as far as my UFC 250 leans or 249 or whatever it's whatever the heck it's called, right? Um, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll see uh, what happens there. Tony makes weight consequence. Um, this has been kind of talked about to death. And uh, last show was on a Thursday, so he didn't make weight yet, but kind of like I'll echo what I said last week was essentially not not surprised he was going to make weight. And um, even though that can't be good for you, um, Tony's always dancing with the devil in one way, in one way or the other. In a sport where you are essentially dancing with the devil anyway. So will it affect it? Should it affect it? Yes. But everything should affect Tony Ferguson. And yet he's still on this crazy win streak. The guy hasn't lost since Obama's first term. Swallow that pill. And, uh, and yeah, he's one of my favorite fighters to break down for a reason. So dance, Tony, dance. The last dance on ESPN+. Plus. I mean, I don't really care the argument i would like to, it's gonna it would be just as big for me if this wasn't a pandemic so i could care less about that argument is oh is it only big because of this or like no the 90s bulls was a huge thing even contrarian hipster dan tom whatever you want to call me who doesn't talk about sports who doesn't know much about sports especially these days i was all about the 90s bulls you know um follow them from about 1991 because just i'll give you a really short version of this. I did. I usually go over these on my UFC or um, Bellator, I should say, Hawaii podcast when I'm out there. Um, staying with my grandmother, who's the last uh, living uh, grandparent I have, and she's a she's a very interesting woman, ch- older woman, Chinese woman, and she breaks all the stereotypes of both women, Asian women, older women, because she's always been into sports. And even when she was successful having her own um, uh, scenic tours uh, airline business. Uh, over in Hawaii, she ran illegal card games uh, every weekend. Um, that a bunch of people from family to like even like uh, politicians and shit would show up. And me and my cousins, it was our job. We'd lay out, shuffle the decks, lay out the tables, the chairs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
And then in between the poker weekends, um, she was taking she was taking calls, uh, taking bets. So I grew up in her TV room where there'd be two TVs, especially basketball, basketball and football. She still really follows NFL. She's big NFL, even at like almost 80, making bets and shit. But this time she was taking bets at this point of my childhood. And there was a phone. There was one of those old school like typewriters, a notepad. Uh, two notepads, one for when she got the call in, take the bets, and another for her notes. And she would break break things down and and take bets and be her own bookie. And I didn't know anything about that stuff. I had no interest in that stuff. But you want to participate as a young kid. And I'm like, well, I like this basketball stuff. I'm, 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 you know, just because you're a guy doesn't mean you have to. But yes, I was a I, I, I was a young boy, so it was really easy to gravitate towards sports. And I'm like, who's this number 33 character? I'm gonna like him because I didn't know the context. I didn't know the best guy on the court was actually 23, Michael Jordan, right? So um, their birth, the biggest uh, Scotty Pippen fan, uh, you'll see because there's not that many of us. Uh, <laughs> big nose Pip, no tipping Pippen, as they say. No, I, why am I? Why am I coming at him so hard? But no, it was crazy. I was seeing like a bunch of those things going down, and like people were hating on Scotty, and I'm like, no, the last dance was actually kind of giving some his due that I didn't realize. You know, like uh, oh, maybe he was no tipping Pippen because he he. Uh, he, uh, you know, wasn't making that much money, but it's kind of hard to say, right? When you're like, wow, he was like underpaid. He was like, you know, uh, X amount, you know, lowest guy paid. And then you still see like million dollars there for like someone covering. Um, and never competed at a pro level, but just kind of been around that and martial arts in general my whole life. I'm like seeing the peanuts that martial artists, fighters have made. I'm like, okay, well, I get it. Sympathetic because I'm like a fan of the dude. He never got his due, but I'm also like, guys are all getting millions of dollars um but no that was really touching you know like i didn't realize like he scotty was like taking care of like two paralyzed paraplegic members of his family uh, i always knew that he they called it equipment and manager but he was essentially a ball boy i mean to walk on as a ball boy like as a sophomore uh in arkansas i mean not that arkansas like super high competition but just uh, college ball in general i mean to do that was just insane and then he becomes a top 50 shoe and one of the most underrated players ever um you know, I had this thing uh, I'll probably share it later, but it was like kind of like in finals or in playoffs and it was stats. And like they either Scotty and Jordan either break even or like Scotty, I think, outdoes them in a lot of categories, which is true. Whether we're talking like playoffs, preseason, postseason, in season defense, I think he had 40 break later, uh, you know, uh, by not just hitting seven, but seven uh, after what was a 90 longer distance. So even offensive re- records, you know, Scotty was breaking. And people get so pissed. And I'm not from here by any means, but, you know, of course, Dan Tom always has love for the underdog, all, you know, uh, contrarian, but for a reason. Uh, sure, sure, you can levy all that on me. But but I'm not a Jordan hater, believe me. Uh, but I, people just hate when you say that, like, if you put the stats uh, up close and you didn't, you had no context for who Michael Jordan was. You may still say that Jordan is the better player than Pippen, but you'd be like, wow, these guys are pretty close. And people fucking go bananas. They go, what? Because they have, you know, it's all the Jordan and, and all the intangible and all the years and pounding, and justfully so. I'm not not hating. Uh, but if you actually just look at the stats, and I know I'm not like a stat guy when it comes to fighting because stats are really garbage when it comes to fighting for the most part. Um, I mean, they're not garbage, but they just they don't say a lot. Uh, whereas the sample sizes, the game, the structure, et cetera, it's more built in. It's a little, it's, it's a little more tangible, a lot more tangible in my opinion, actually, when you talk about sports like basketball. Um, but yeah, if you look at just the stats, like dude, Scotty was right up there, man. Guard, and he kind of retained all those skills, but like there were games where he was playing center and whatnot is because they didn't really have, uh, 
any good big men, you know? So Scotty was having to go to those, go to those, um, <clears throat> Scotty was having to go to those positions a lot. So it's like, it's two ways you can look at it. It's like, there's the argument, like that Shaq said, uh, he brought up, I believe, um, in a, uh, interview with Ariel Hawani, I was supposed to touch on it last week. I didn't get a chance to, but like, he brought up like, okay, I think the Lakers are going to be the, you know, that early two thousands team will beat the, uh, uh, the nineties bulls. And that's, that's fine. That's a fine argument to have. I'm not hating on anybody who takes either side of the argument. Uh, and I'm not a Lakers hater either. In fact, I like uh, the classic Lakers and my favorite Lakers team is the Lakers team that like, not even like a lot of, you know, not talking about like the people who are actually from California, for, hey, like, hardcore Lakers fans, y'all are OGs. Y'all know I love you, but I'm talking about all the fake Lakers fans because there's so many of them here, like lost being from Las Vegas or, I have so much Hawaii I can't weigh in on because uh, I didn't grow up there as much. But like, you grew up in a state that doesn't. Um, but like, but yeah, like e- either way, I'm I'm not hating that argument. Although it's kind of two perspectives. Like you can look at it like, oh, they didn't beat anybody with a big man. But like, well, they didn't have much of a big man team either. And sure, that comes into play if we're comparing it against Shaq's team, right? Because you look at the Orlando Magic. I mean, they were one of the, you know, uh, you know one of the thorns in, in Chicago's, even, you know, from Chicago's off season. So they're on, oh man, that guy could make some plays. He had some sweet shoes, by the way. We were talking in some shoe talks, by the way, Jordan 11s were my favorite, but you bet your ass, your boy here, uh, owned a pair of uh, trying to play basketball. It was a funny sight to see folks. It was a, it was a funny sight to see, but basketball was like my life growing up. You got to understand. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, so of course, you know, just like Shaq was biased, I'm going to be biased and I'm going to say the bulls would have won. Right. But it, it was true because the Bulls was really like an era, a last era of teams. And this is something that I'm pretty proud of. You know, there are two takes when I was ignorant and shouldn't have known any better. I shouldn't have been right about these takes. But for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because I'm fucking like special in the head or what. But a young Dan Tom nailed these two things. And one was even in the early 90s when I'm like fucking eight to 10 years old. I'm like, I'm looking at the newspapers going, you know, do celebrities love each other or do they just get married and then divorce? After they like stop having a couple movies for a while, like look at Demi Moore, she's she does a shakeup, and now look she's getting the GI Jane, she's getting the, and I was already kind of putting that formula together. And, and the other one with the more important, although not really important, in sports, you know, there's more important things in sports. The other one was uh, the other one was 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 uh, basketball and where it was going, kind of pro sports. Don't get me wrong. We had some really awesome commercials around the mid to late 90s time. You remember Grant Hill kind of having his Sprite deals and, and Sprite started doing like awesome basketball commercials. Like what's the motivation, right? Like uh, that was a classic one. Um, of course, you know, McDonald's get in when the Olympics were happening and uh, they had some really good ones where uh, they gave, they gave Scotty some good airtime for some chicken McNugget commercials. And, and as you can tell, Dan Tom made some chicken McNuggets in his day. So I was all, I was all about these commercials, but at the same time, even as a kid, I'm like, this corporate stuff is very dangerous. Um, because again, what makes the Bulls really cool is that, or interesting is that they, it, it was an era where teams were still teams. You still have to play as a team. It wasn't like, you know, who can, you know, trade and buy, where's the burn going to this season? Like it, it was before this went fucking all out. Right. And I really got worried it was going to bleed in. That money was going to bleed in because, what was frustrating as being a Pippen fan was that he didn't really get a lot of attention, right? Of course, you're going to be one of the most underrated players ever if you're playing right next to one of the best players ever, if not the best, right? Uh, that's going to be natural. I get that. That's cool, uh, I guess. But, like, what was kind of frustrating was that, like, you kind of saw that effect when you have a superstar, so to speak, on the team and what that does. And, you know, Bill Wennington, Luke Longley, Steve Kerr, I got love for all these guys. Maybe not Luke Longley, man. I, I still hold it against them. 
We could have beat the Magic, man. The dunk was right there, and he turns and he banks it off. Come on, Luke. What were you thinking, dude? Uh, but I get regardless i got love for all these guys and um but like they weren't the best they weren't the best players by any means like they really have to step up overperform and have to kind of play into and in lockstep with not just phil jackson but scotty pippen and that kind of it sucks it hurts to see because it was very divisive it really set people in different ways when scotty sat out elective and took that elective surgery that, that they're currently covering but you also kind of saw like kind of prove the point like dude Scotty is more of a glue than just, you know, the rock stars scoring points. Like there's a guy quietly doing things. If you know, basketball, a utility player, the players that don't get any credit. And that was Scotty Pippen. So I'm locked in for this last dance. Uh, of course, I'm going to say that the, the, the nineties bulls would beat the Lakers because you know, you gotta, I, okay. If, it, if we're, if we're dealing with mobbed up refs, then that's another thing too, because we want to talk about money bleeding in the league, you know, about 2001, 2002 is when I stopped watching, not because I was a Lakers hater, but because the, <laughs> The refs were – I mean, the refs are already baby Shaq as it is. And that, that's what I hate. You know, you got the commentators building up. He's so big. He's so strong. And then a fly lands on Shaq. Foul, foul, foul. Like, fucking protecting the guy. It was the most frustrating thing. And that, that was going on way back in the magic. But what happens in L.A. is you've got mobbed up refs. And I remember, you know, oh, you're just a sour fan, Dan, at the time. I was like, what do you mean? Like Kobe Bryant literally like knife hand chopped Rasheed Wallace in the throat and not only does Kobe not get the call, Rasheed gets the call. Not only does Rasheed get the call, they call him for a flagrant because you know Rasheed Wallace's fucking temper. You give him one bad call, especially like a flagrant foul call that he actually didn't deserve. Rasheed's going fucking crazy. By the way, Rasheed Wallace might make it on my uh, like guys like Charles Oakley, like NBAers who could have been MMAers. Like that was, uh, yeah, like so, like, but you know. I looked like a sour fan at the time. And then, you know, you go back, of course, it wasn't until 2005. And there's, oh, Tim Donahue was the only one. Like, it's fucking Vietnam may lie. We're pinning it on one guy. Oh, it was only one guy. It was only one ref. You hear about these fucking refs, like, oh, what? They get paid almost like upwards of ten dollars to $15,000 or something per game. You don't think it's in their interest to maybe extend the series? And of all games, of all structures, the ref whistle in basketball and, and basketball being such a momentum game. Uh, arguably as much almost as much as fighting right except you have the ability to brr, 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 constantly break momentum you controlling overs and unders you got money i mean holy crap if you are gonna rig something and be a ref and basketball is the easiest one to do it whether or not you want to believe that folks i'm not trying to spread spread my tinfoil hat theory but that was a really frustrating um i don't know i i really I, and I, I i like kobe by the way i'm not saying that because the guy's dead like i never hated kobe by the way i just didn't like Shaq, which i'll explain in a second uh, I didn't like Rick Fox because he just seemed like he was like, I'm cool. I date models. And then when, what do you do on the court aside from like start a fight with like Scottie Pippen? Uh, you know, um, big guy Hawaii still got Pippen love. You still got the jacket. Yeah, I do. I do. I, I, I do. Uncle Paul. I do. Mike Krause says BB corrupt as hell. Uh, yeah. Boy, I'm getting on a tangent here, guys. Thank you for, for, for we're going to, we're going to wrap this up. We're going to get the front head low chokes. Probably going to go to 45 minutes today and then we'll, We'll wrap up, but I'll just finish this on the Shaq story. Why I'm always taking shots at Shaq is not just because, like, again, being hipster because of the world, I'm not hating the totally cool, like the Shaqs of the world, but like people, whether you're like talented and a rock star like Jordan and he worked fucking his ass off to get it, folks. So I'm not trying to even anyway demean any of these people who are accomplishers, achievers, who I respect for that reason, or Shaq, who you're, you're, you're not just an athlete, you're a star athlete, you're not just rich, you're really rich, and you're not just a star athlete who's rich, you're like, you, you 
you're always the biggest from 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 whoever. And I'm gonna piss a lot of people off because I have a lot of people that I respect that are Shaq fans. So, uh, so, so, so uh, you guys, I'm not coming at you. It's, it's it's all good. Player like okay, guy that probably has very little diversity from the commentators, the refs, uh, you know, the athletic programmings, the institutions coming up, like kind of paving the way for this guy. Like, uh, it, it probably took him a while to learn some real adversity. Like, I'm I'm sure he has a great series that I I do want to check out. Uh, but he was saying something interesting in the interview with Ariel where he's like, it's it's so weird to have a guy, you know, that can, you know, pick me up or be, you know, match me in size. I'm always the biggest guy and this and that. And that's great. So good on Shaq if he's doing martial arts to get humbled. Uh, and, and perhaps he's a better person. But you fast forward again back to Hawaii now. Um, this is uh, one of my uncle's ex-wives. No reason. Um, it's essentially, there's people who are like, how do you call them? They're like... Um, they're the people who take care of celebrities when they come into a certain state or a country or whatever, and they make sure everything's taken care of. They're pretty much by their side and yada, yada, yada. Not their assistant, but like, you know, they work with their assistant. They work with a celebrity. That was her job, and she worked with the players and the board. Um, very little African-American and, you know, Hispanic as far as, you know, if we're going to stereotype. Like, it's, it's hard to find a fucking burrito shop in Hawaii, right? Um But, uh, but yeah, like, so anyways, so it's, it's like a group of kids. I think there's only like one black kid, right? And I guess Shaq just signs. He 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 puts up a, a fit. He wasn't even doing anything. He was in the middle of eating. They weren't pressed for time. She, she made the schedule. She knew. Uh, and he was like, but just from being overrated on the court, probably not having being checked as a human being and not having the healthiest ego to like. And you hear stories like that. Like I've never been. I've never been. A, I've never been. A, I've never been a Shaq fan. And that's why I'm not hating you if you are. But that's why I always take shots at the guy. And. Uh, I, I will never be famous. Um, this lowly channel and a little bit of followers about all I have. But I used to joke when I was a kid, I'm like, if I ever become famous, and like if it's like a movie release, and they'll be like, Dan, Tom, tell us about the movie. I'm like, one, one second. There's something that I've been, I know it's the year's 2030. Something I've been holding on since 97. Scotty, you're the best. Shaq, you suck. So there, I had to do that. But uh, <laughs> I know that was immature. But literally, this this, this last dance, it's really bringing out uh, the kid in me. As you can tell, I'm excited. I've been talking way too long. We're going to push on. Mike Krause, does Tony win? I got money on Justin. Was that smart? Dude, from a betting perspective, like I was talking about at the top of this show, believe me, I didn't just rant, rant about basketball the whole time, folks. If you're just tuning in now, um, like I said at the top of the show, there's looking at things from a betting perspective, Mike. And from a betting perspective, that fight is dog or pass. And I'm the biggest Tony fan. I felt like it was dog or pass. Um, maybe I could be picking Justin, but I, no, no I'm, I'm, uh, Tony should be favored. I'm going to pick Tony. Do the analysis. You know, I feel a little bit better about my Tony pick. Of course, as we know, fight didn't happen, right? Now Justin is, you know, we're seeing that he's have, having some good training partners. Um, and now he's getting more notice, right? The first one was shorter notice. He uh, Tony was the one with a longer notice. Now a little more even playing field. So that plus the fact that Justin has that plus number next to his name, Mike, that's not a bad bet. But uh, but yeah, man, at the same time, don't run to the bank off me. I'm not an authority. I bet like a nine-year-old with an allowance. Like I bet like the kid you just heard talking about basketball, like that that came out of me. Like that that's the same person that bets. So don't don't listen to me. But the educated perspective, I, I will give you that or educated opinion, as educated of opinion as I can give you. That is it. Uh front headlock threats. I'm just gonna bring up two two fights as per usual. I'm gonna eventually do these and bring these clips on here, but I'm gonna go ahead and post these on my Twitter if you want the visual at Dan Tom MMA before we get out of here. But that is the weekly focus is front headlock threats. And originally I started looking at front headlock threats like uh um I'm actually getting more Tony questions here, which is awesome. And Tony's gonna be mentioned here in a second, so I'm gonna tie that in. Uh designated member. Uh 
But I was looking at stuff like Charles Oliveira versus Hatsu Aoki, and I love that. I love that. Uh, I love that show. The kind of he like kind of sits through. Does the anaconda grip instead of rolling through? He just sits forward, right? But I'm like, okay, we could go for days as far as finish. Uh, you know, uh, using them to finish. And I was thinking about our our last conversation, which was our last focus, which was about leg locks. And one of the points that I bring up is that it's not about even getting the leg lock a lot of times. It's, what's the, it's what the leg lock gives you. It's creating that scramble to get off your front headlock chokes. Um, because sometimes just the threat of a front headlock alone can open up a lot of things. Uh, there's the classic one. A lot of wrestlers, you know, uh, like, or jujitsu players who like to take the back will like, where you snap someone down, you shuck them forward, and you go to the back as could be when you shuck somebody forward, if you do it right, especially if you're getting a nice chin strap, whatever grip you prefer, not going to lecture you on it. The idea is you want to shuck someone forward so much that their weight has to host on the mat. What are their hands not doing? Not protecting their neck. What are their hands not doing? Not shifting out and getting getting hooks. They're not defending hooks. These are your opportunities kind of to advance. So front headlock threats are beautiful because you don't even have to go for the choke to open things up. Uh, now we just mentioned Tony Ferguson. Now he does use front headlock threats to open up other chokes. Um, this was going to be on a points of interest article that was going to be released. And unfortunately, COVID-19 stuff happened. Yada, yada is one of the things that didn't make it out. So I want to at least post this clip to you because in the Lando Venado fight, you see it in a, in a couple of other fights, but the Lando Venado fight, he uses a front headlock threat to get a front headlock. It's not about pulling off crazy moves, folks. It's not about, oh, I know this crazy like submission from the rubber guard. And I'm not coming at the rubber guard. I know I made a comment about it, um, made it sound like it not coming at my, my 10th planet brothers and sisters, but I'm just saying, it's not about, that's not how I measure. Like what's a good grappler. Like what's a good grappler is someone who knows that if I make weight go this way, they're going to have to do this. And if they do this, I get that. And they're playing three steps ahead. That's a fucking good grappler in my head. Those are the people that you, you got to watch out for. And Tony knows that if I go for the guillotine, I'm probably not going to get the guillotine, but what will happen if I go for the guillotine? Well, what will happen is the same reason why you probably won't get it is because the person's going to fight hands. That's your first instinct. Oh, get off my neck. So <laughs> the great thing about when someone grapples with you, he's to say, and and when we would do grappling in, in, in karate, we, uh, we actually had we actually did some grappling and uh, had some decent grappling. A lot of a lot of it misinformed either here or there. But the point was, don't be afraid. Uh, was teach us not to be afraid when we get in a grappling exchange. So much of us were strikers, right? That's the natural art. But the, the principle, aside from, you know, learning how to grapple, relaxing, breathing, all the important shit. But another kind of great principle is the good thing about grappling or someone putting their hands on you is you know where their hands are now. Now we don't got to worry about it. It's not a surprise. Are they going to punch me up high? Are they going to dive down low? No, we know where their hands are. By the same token, you can put your hands on somebody, like go for a guillotine choke. And now we can kind of pretty much guide where their hands are going to be right here. And when Lando Venata goes here, it opens up space between the tricep, the lat, for Tony's darsing arm to come through and opens it up. Now, he does it standing. It's pretty crazy. So here's what I want you to do, grapplers. Even though a lot of us can't grapple right now, once things return, you'll probably be on the mat before my ass with the other things I'm dealing with. So try this, um, especially if you're someone who gets to mount a lot, right? If you get to mount a lot, maybe you're not flexible to be doing those mounted triangles. You don't want to give a position for it totally cool you like the guillotine so do i right but it, from the mount it's really obvious i mean unless somebody's like bucking like a like a fish out of water and you're you're timing it and you're catching it it's really hard to catch on anybody decent much less anybody good 
So using Tony's principle, I want you to try some one of my favorite Darsh setups. When you're in the mount, I want you to go for that guillotine. Again, this is technically still kind of a front headlock threat in a way. You're, you're threatening the neck. Okay, this is more of a threat to the neck if we're being technical, obviously. It's going to make them fight hands. They're in the mount. They're on their back. They're going to fight hands. As you do that, you kind of slide off the top. You still keep a knee and ankle um, uh, to keep weight on them, as you do. But what that does is it probably confuses them because – their first priority is defend the choke, but now they're like, wait a minute, is this guy giving me a way out? Do I have a way out or is this guy giving me a way out? And chances are, even if they're smart, they're probably not going to have uh, be thinking about that or have that time because they're, again, worried about the choke. And you're just pretty much going off to the side in order to get your darsing angle because they are giving you an opening by fighting hands. And there you can slide your darse hand in as you keep your choking hand tight. You slide your darse hand in and you're in on it. Um, so those of you grapplers, if you're grappling around, try that trick. I, I, I love it. I think it's a really high percentage because if it doesn't work, you stay on top. Um, but, but, but the front headlocks, um, are great for that. Uh, let me see. Hold on. Tony Ferguson, Tony oftentimes doesn't need a member. Tony oftentimes gets hurt early. Very bad versus Justin. Yes. Uh, one of the things I say in my breakdown though, is when Tony gets hurt, it's usually because he's being caught mid kick and people are crashing or countering him when he's kicking. Justin hurts a lot of people with his fist. So to say that Justin can't hurt Tony is stupid. In fact, even if you're like me and you're picking Tony and you're a Tony supporter, you'd be silly to think he's not getting out of this one without having to recover from getting hurt first. So by that nature alone, you are not crazy by saying that. However, when Justin does the hurting, not that he doesn't know how to counter or check kicks. In fact, Justin's gotten better with his checking and his footwork and fainting in particular to help draw these things out. But when Justin's hurting people, they're usually almost 99 to 95% of the time, they're not kicking. They're not throwing a kick. Does, it, does that mean Justin can't counter? Does that mean Justin can't crash counter? Does that mean Justin can't hurt him? Obviously not. But that was a pretty strong statistic that swayed me in the favor that maybe Tony can uh, navigate this turbulence field. Designated member also says, also, Tony is cursed by the gods. Awesome run. Yet somehow destined to never get a proper title shot. I mean, it is one of the most criminal things, which again, the guy who loves the underdog, you know, who just rants about Scottie Pippen for 12 minutes and kills what's left of his audience. Uh, I love the underdog. I love the guys who don't, you know, get that, that unheralded attention. The guys that do everything, utility player, Pippen's a utility player. Ferguson is a utility fighter. Um, and that's just the truth too. You know, you fight going forward, going backwards, although he seldom takes a back step, but he can't fight educated off that jab, both stances offensive wrestling scrambling fighting off the back fighting crazy ferguson does it all um so thank you thank you for those bj penn versus joey gilbert is another one back at ufc 31 what i like about it is uh, is um it's crazy right like bj penn he's this jujitsu prodigy he has to make his debut in the ufc and you're expecting him to come in and submit guys and it's a ground game that gets this fight one don't get me wrong folks but it's crazy he starts knocking everybody out to start things off First fight though against Joey Gilbert, guy who was a much better wrestler. I believe NCAA. I don't know if he was Division One, Division Two, but he was a much better credentialed uh, wrestler than BJ Penn. And I believe he created, trained with like the, the Carlson Gracie lineage or whatever, right? Um, I think Clay Guido. He would train and go on to train Clay Guido, etc. BJ Penn debuts against him, um, and it's great because uh, Gilbert shoots and BJ uses goes to the guillotine, uh, as most jujitsu guys or most people would do against a wrestler, except. A mistake that people are still doing today, going back at UFC 231 almost 20 years ago, 
BJ Penn's doing it the right way, which is why 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 he got the nickname of the prodigy. Um, and obviously, yes, yes, yes. Wow, have the money has fallen. I know I got to mention that, but we're talking about good times here, folks. For a second, bear with me. Um, and he uses the the guillotine as, as a threat again, front front headlock threat. He doesn't drop down, but he chokes up on the guillotine just enough to get Gilbert to respect it. And as soon as he respects it. Instead of going in through the Darsing arm through that, you know, trap uh, or tricep uh, lat uh, uh, lat pathway, he just uses that great grip, which is the tricep. BJ does keeps his choking arm, keeps him keeps him looking at the bird, he keeps him looking at the threat, grabs the back of the tricep, scoots around to his back, reverses the position off the back into the cage, and then takes the wrestler down and goes into the navy ride variation that Khabib hits on everybody, of course. Um, you know, the guy who me and me and many think is the greatest lightweight of all time still as far as accolades and importance to the division. That dude was doing that shit his first fucking fight almost 20 years ago. It's insane. So I'm going to post a clip of that. It's just a really cool, small sequence. Um, I posted Chael Sonnen versus Tim McKenzie the other day when everyone was talking about Fight Island just because I wanted to show that Bodog fight scene. And uh, that's a really cool one as far as like high-low, high-low that also involves the front headlock. So in other words... This ties in what we were talking about last week with Frank Shamrock going up high for a triangle, down low for a leg lock. Um, whether you're fighting from the guard or whether you're a wrestler wrestling offensively. So whether you're going for submissions as a jiu-jitsu guy from your guard or whether you're a wrestler on your feet attacking offensively, the high-low, high-low principle is so important and effective. You see Chael uh, use that beautifully here. I think he goes for a shot. To McKenzie overly sprawls. I don't know if Chael meant to draw that out of him. Either way, he parlays it well by going to the front headlock threat, gets him worried about there, hits his patented inside trip going low, but he's still looking onto the birdie and holding onto the birdie, so now he's back up high, sinking in his Darsh choke, right? It's, it's a beautiful, quick, 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 quick one there. And the last one, I'll post a clip this one too. Again, really small, nothing crazy here, guys. But DC versus Derek Lewis at UFC 231, like 315 around two mark. Uh, DC is like dragging him down and tiring the big guy, right? Putting front headlock threats are great too, because even if you don't get anything, you're making the guy work, right? So there's DC, he's making Derek Lewis work. He knows Derek Lewis also took it on short notice, is better cardio than him, right? He's banking on it at least. So he's weighing him down, and we see him kind of snapping him down and making, again, like I said, making Derek Lewis put that weight forward. Um, and not that DC isn't agile enough to scoot around to the back or anything and start turtle riding him, side riding him, and punching him. Uh, he does a really beautiful move where Derek Lewis is in his patented tripod, right? And he's he's daring you to take the back because Derek Lewis makes his money when guys try to take his back. He he gets in the, the tripod position, making his uh, puts the, the ass in the air, makes that that, that 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 steep slope. So if you take the back, it looks open, but you fall forward. DC ain't gonna play that game. So instead, he holds onto the front headlock. He sees the ankle down there, and he oh, and he picks that ankle and picks him on his back, and gets the finish soon after. It's it's just a beautiful, beautiful uh, transition, and it kind of shows that you don't have to necessarily go for a front headlock choke to make hay from it. And some of the best grapplers and best fighters uh, tend to know and exercise this. So I'll post those at Dan Tom MMA. Thank you guys for sitting through. Apologies for the big Scotty Piven rant. Um, that was a, yeah, that was, that was, that was in the cellar waiting to get out a lot, a lot of old feelings there, but, but yeah, man, I just, I, I love this. I'm, I'm, I'm in ESPN. You guys got me with this last dance thing. I'm going to, going to follow it through. Um, I'll see you guys, uh, soon. We're going to be doing top five Bellator fights with James Lynch. 
Again, not, not officially announcing it tomorrow, but one of the benefits of tuning in here, you guys are going to get a, a sneak peek of that. Um, doing a fun uh, doing a fun wrestling one with Ed Gallo the following week. And I don't think we have fights next week, so we'll probably, we'll probably start with me for another one of these installments. Uh, and then when we do get fights again, assuming everything goes as planned May 9th, uh, and hopefully safety, of course, safety first, then teamwork. Uh, <laughs> Pineapple Express there. Um and yeah, I'll see you guys. Be doing, we'll be doing breakdown shows every Thursday, um, and those will—they will be thrown up here, but they won't be in this format. Uh, they'll be back to the top-notch audio quality, and hopefully bringing you guys better quality in general. Thanks for everything, guys. Thank you guys for checking out top five WEC fights. I uh, got a lot of kind words on that one. Of course, had uh, Brad Tastrick from the MMA Analysis Podcast, another great podcast to check out. Uh, had him on. That was a lot of fun. And just thank you guys for you know following this channel. Uh, Try not to spam your feeds, uh, but the fact that you guys respond, follow, interact, it really means the world. Hope you're all staying safe. And always, until next time, 